Good morning. Our sermon reading this morning comes from John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace, in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Uh, when Jude and I got married, we moved into a block of units. And I, I searched the internet, and this is the, the very units. We drove through that little tunnel up to the back, and uh, the foyer had mustard-coloured tiles, a light fitting with you know, frilly glass and little flowers around it, and the big gold doorknob uh, on, the, on the door. And then you, you go across to the, the stairs, which had that classic brown aluminium railing, 60s, written all over it. Uh, when we got to our unit, there was the big gold doorknob, and you walk in, and, and there in the, in the laundry was the mustard-coloured tiles. Fortunately, they'd updated the kitchen before we moved in. And, uh, and in the hallway, there was the same frilly lampshade. And, of course, on the balcony, what was the railing? Brown aluminium. The features of the foyer were expanded and placed in context in all of the units. And it's exactly what we've got here in this passage. It's like the foyer for the Gospel of John. It's the introduction, the, the prologue. The features we see here are explored in greater depth and, and set in context in all of the chapters that follow. So today we're going to focus on just three of these wonderful themes. Jesus' identity, who he is. Jesus' purpose, why he came. And Jesus' impact, the way various people responded to him and, and how we might respond ourselves. Uh, whole books have been written about this passage. I was so excited when my name got lined up with you know, this particular passage because it's just one of those wonderful, wonderful passages. There's so much in it. So let's ask God to help us grasp his truth in the brief time we have now. Let's pray.
Dear Father, thank you for speaking so clearly to us in your word. Please help me to explain it faithfully. And may we all respond in a way that delights you. Amen. Well, John begins by revealing Jesus' identity right from the very first verse. But instead of a, a genealogy or a manger and a stable and a whole birth narrative, we read, in the beginning. Where have we heard that before? Genesis, well, very first verse of the Bible. It's a deliberate echo of Genesis 1.1. And as we read on in this gospel, we can't help noticing how different it is from Matthew, Mark and Luke. Uh, those three, some it's called the synoptic gospels, meaning they, they see things the same way. Uh, some parts are even identical, word for word. But John is different. He still tells real history, but John's focus is more on the meaning of what happened, of all those events, not just the events themselves. So it functions on, on different levels. It's both simple and yet profound. Augustine, the great theologian of the 4th century, described it like a pool, shallow enough for a toddler to paddle in and yet deep enough for an elephant to swim. And we can see how God has used it in this kind of way uh, because many people have actually come to Christ. They've begun their Christian faith just through reading the Gospel of John. And yet it has also challenged the most sophisticated theological minds through history. Friends, we're in for a great journey over the next few months as we go through this book. So, so here at the beginning, why this throwback to Genesis? What's going on there? John is signalling both the continuity of God's plan throughout history right from the start but also the significance of this decisive moment in God's plan for salvation. Jesus is not some kind of like plan B because plan A didn't work. This is God's original plan still unfolding and we're up to a really exciting moment in it. Now, if you're a muso, try this. God hasn't started a new song. He's brought us to the great chorus of the same song. Do you like that, musos? Come on, give me some encouragement. Um, and it's all about the, the rousing words of this chorus. It's all about the Word. Look at it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Jump down to verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And then at the end of verse 17, ah, the Word has a name. This is talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Word. Now, it seems a bit strange to us talking about a person as the Word, but to both Jews and Greeks in John's day, it was a familiar idea with a range of meaning. The Greek word is, is logos, from which we get our, our word logic. Logos was used to describe the creative power uh, that brought order to the cosmos at creation. It was sometimes personified as wisdom, uh, kind of like in Proverbs chapter 8. And in some later Jewish writings, the, the Logos was identified as a heavenly mediator between the spiritual and the physical worlds, between heaven and earth. But it was John, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, who pulled together and clarified all these vague ideas to, to point people in his day to the identity of Jesus. And it's a grand picture indeed. Verses 1 and 2 
reveals that Jesus is distinct from God. He was with God. And at the same time, he is God. Verse 18 makes it clearer for us. No one has ever seen God, that's God the Father, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Next week, and we'll get down to verse 32 of chapter 1, uh, and we meet God the Holy Spirit. And from there on, we constantly see the fullness of God as the Trinity, a perfect, loving, eternal relationship of, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons, perfect in unity, perfectly unified in, in, in attributes, in character. And in purpose, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, fulfill complementary roles. The Father didn't come down like a dove when the Son was being baptized. The Holy Spirit wasn't crucified. But yet all three fulfilling complementary roles as the one perfect divine will is accomplished. He's sovereign over everything. And worthy of all glory, honour and praise. So Jesus is fully God. He existed before creation. And then through him, verse 3, all things were made. And just so we don't try and find a loophole in the logic here, goes on. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Nothing has come into existence apart from the will and creative power of Jesus. And verse 4, he's the source of life. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says that Jesus not only created life, but he sustains it by his power. Uh, whether you believe in God or not, your very next breath relies on his power and kindness to you. And for this, he deserves our gratitude and our worship. And Jesus brings light, verses 4 and 5. Divine illumination for all people in this dark, sin-damaged world. Only in him can we see clearly, can we understand rightly and make sense of our experience of life in the world that he made. Personally, this is one of the things I absolutely love about the Christian faith. It makes sense of the world I live in. It makes sense of the beauty. It makes sense of the brokenness. It makes sense of the, the pleasure and the pain. And it, or rather he, gives me such deep hope and peace and joy in the midst of it all. As verse 5 says, the darkness has not overcome the light. No disease, no demonic power, no disaster, not even death itself can overcome or quench the life-giving light of Jesus Christ. And friends, that's amazing. But it gets even better. Verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus is God entering our human experience. 
Being born in humble circumstances and growing up in a family, working a trade, becoming a man, experiencing all the joys and sorrows of earthly life. <laughs> Throw back to old, older songs. 25 years ago, the number one song in Australia was titled, What If God Was One of Us? Remember that one? I won't sing it. He was in Jesus Christ. Don't let Jesus' divinity rob you of the wonderful reality of his humanity. He understands us. He gets it. He knows what it is to be fully human, uh, to be tempted in every way, to rejoice at the wedding of a friend, to be exhausted from a long day's work, tired from crowds, sometimes lonely because there's no one around, deserted, betrayed, weeping in grief at a funeral, loved, hated. He's experienced it. Whatever we're facing, Jesus knows. He understands what a friend we have in Jesus. Verse 14 also has significant echoes of the Old Testament. The word for dwelling is actually tabernacled. So John is saying, yeah, the same God of the Old Testament who, who dwelt among the Israelites in the tabernacle now dwells among us in Jesus Christ. And the repetition of glory emphasizes the same point. That's why many of the Jews were so deeply offended. They saw the man, but they failed to recognize him as God the Saviour. Friends, don't let Jesus' humanity rob you of the wonderful reality of his divinity. The awesome, holy, powerful God who saved his people in the Old Testament now saves us in and through Christ. He's fully man and fully God. He's both friend and mighty saviour. And lastly, as we consider the identity of Jesus, again in verse 14, we read that he's full of grace and truth. Grace, that, that undeserved kindness of God towards us. It's most clearly seen in Jesus. God has always been gracious. Yeah, in the Old Testament, uh, he was gracious in, in the covenant that he gave there. But Jesus fulfills and replaces that covenant. See verse 16? Out of his fullness... We have all received grace in place of grace already given. It's referring to the Old Testament there. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In other words, the way we connect with God is now entirely through Jesus. Which leads us to our second point. If Jesus is God, why did he leave the perfection and glory of heaven at the Father's side to come to earth? Now, John has carefully arranged this whole introduction so that the driving purpose of his whole gospel account is right in the middle. Verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We live in an age where people love and know their rights. <laughs> the right to speak, the right to be respected, the right to equality, the right to education and safety and just about everything. But none of, us is, uh, none, of it, uh, none of it is guaranteed. And a lot of it is often violated, isn't it? That's why we get so stroppy. 
But here's a right. Here's a right that God offers. And it's absolutely mind-boggling. To be a child of God. And we get it not by demanding it or trying to enforce it. We can't. But simply by, see verse 12, receiving Jesus, believing in his name. If we trust Jesus, he gives it and he guarantees it. By believing in Jesus, we are welcomed into God's family. We're sharing his life, which is eternal and indestructible. Near the end of his gospel, John tells us plainly why he wrote his account. This is his own purpose statement. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that's the title of our whole series, Life in His Name. John was such an evangelist at heart. He wanted people to hear the word of Christ, to see the light of Christ, and to receive the life of Christ. Not surprisingly, this theme surfaces again and again throughout the gospel. We have time to search, uh, see how all of the themes in this prologue uh, are explored. But let's just look at this theme of life. Some of these are so familiar, these verses. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. John 5.24, truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. John 6.40, my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall uh, have eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. It just gets better and better and better. Little, little details piling up to this one glorious picture. Let me keep going. A couple more. The thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. But can you finish that one? I have come. Oh, it's on the screen. (laughs) Uh, It's funny. Uh, John 10 verse 11. The very next verse. verse. I am the good shepherd, says Jesus. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. One more, John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, this is a staggering picture of life that is offered to us by the life giver himself. By believing in Jesus, we have access to God himself, God the Father. All that he offers. We are welcomed into his family. We share in his life, which is eternal, and will never be overcome by darkness. But in those verses, did you also notice the cost? All of these wonderful promises are available to us only because Jesus laid down his life for us. We owe him our lives twice. He created us and gave us life. And he died on the cross, taking our punishment for rejecting and disobeying God. So let's consider then the third point, people's responses 
to Jesus, the impact he had on them. And as we look at this, can I encourage us all to reflect on our own response to Jesus? Verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And friends, this is another allusion to Genesis. Remember when God said, Let there be light? And instantly the, the darkness was overcome by light. But here in John's Gospel, the darkness is not the vacant emptiness before creation. It's the moral darkness of a world that has rejected its maker. That's what verse 10 says. Though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. What a tragic irony. And it's not just ignorance to say they could not recognize him. They chose not to recognize him. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has set eternity in, in the human heart. Romans 1.20 says, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. There's enough evidence for God in the world we see. And life shouts so loudly that we need God's help in our lives. <laughs> and yet we choose not to recognize him. And it only gets worse. In verse 11, he came to that which was his own. In other words, God's people, the Jewish people. But his own did not receive him. They had over 2,000 years of history to learn from, seeing God at work amongst them. They had God's clear revelation in the scriptures of the Old Testament, which was all pointing forward to the coming of Christ. And yet when he came, they didn't receive him. They rejected him. And that's a theme we'll see just expands throughout the gospel. I wonder, if John was here today, what would he say about us? What would he say about the, the Western world that has such a rich Christian heritage and access to the complete Bible on the bookshelf, you know, online, on our mobile phones in the palm of our hand, uh, and a dozen good churches within a short drive? What might he say to us and our response to Jesus? Friends, the good news is that in every generation, God is at work turning hearts to himself and saving people for eternity. And maybe he's doing that in your heart today. He, he so often does this, this wonderful work, through other believers. Look at verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. John was like a signpost pointing to Jesus. John's witness was quite unique. He was the last of the prophets in the long line of Old Testament prophets who were pointing forward to Jesus. But he was also the one who actually got to, to baptize Jesus and introduce people to the, the world, in a sense. Uh, what an incredible privilege that is. Now, none of us will ever be a John the Baptist. I just want to make that clear. Um, but it is God's desire to use all of us, our lives and our words, as a witness to the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. 
through us, others might be able to read the gospel in our lives and hear the gospel from our lips and turn to Christ and receive the life that he offers. This morning we've considered the identity of Jesus, the purpose of his coming and the impact he has on, uh, on people. And we see them responding in different ways. Over the next two terms, we're going to learn so much about Jesus. Let us do so with a willingness to, to not only trust Jesus ourselves and enjoy the life that he gives, but to share him with others that they too may find life in his name. Amen.